There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Too much pressure can demolish even the purest souls. On August 15th, 2005, a young, beautiful, incredibly intelligent girl broke under pressure and took her mother down with her. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. No one expects something horrible to happen in their neighborhood, especially when you live somewhere as idyllic as Leewood Street in Overland Park, Kansas, an area that was lined with cookie-cutter homes filled with the perfect all-American families. At least, that's what the research tells. But nowhere is perfect, and one never truly knows what's happening behind those cookie-cutter doors. It was behind one of those doors that, on August 19th, 2005, the police were called over and, once inside, were shocked to be greeted with an absolute bloodbath and a 16-year-old girl standing in the center of it. The home belonged to Tao Xing, his wife Shu Yi Yang, and their only child, Esme Xiang, a junior in high school that, when friends thought back on how well they knew Esme, recalled how protective her parents were. Her own father, making sure to check out an entire family of a new friend, including the pet, to make sure that it was docile before Esme could even set foot in their house. It was that overprotected girl that seemingly snapped on that evening and stabbed her 55-year-old mother to death in a crime that spanned throughout multiple rooms of their home and whose details have been kept close to the chest of investigators. Her mother was not able to survive the attack, and Esme, who had just started her junior year of high school at Blue Valley North High, was arrested and charged with first-degree murder as the DA made motions to try her as an adult. Now, not only was the crime unique for the area in which it took place, but matricide as a whole is rare in the United States, and even more rare when committed by a female, with a study showing that only four out of a hundred cases parasite involve a daughter killing her mother. As Esme sat behind bars awaiting her trial, a number of friends and strangers rallied around her in support, starting petitions, writing letters, making phone calls, and creating websites to demand her freedom. And one man in particular picked up the flag and became her biggest warrior. Jacob Horwitz, the leader of Esme's supporters, was a middle-aged father of three whose children went to camp with Esme, who, though they weren't close friends, would speak of her fondly. After news of Esme's arrest went public, Jacob had a difficult time matching the horrific crime with the young woman who his children spoke so highly of, a girl who reminded him of his own responsible, hardworking kids. So, like most of us do, Jacob began digging. Soon he found her live journal, an online diary where she spilled the details of her life, and for three hours straight, combed through three years' worth of passages, trying to find something explain her sudden shift to violence. What he found was a home reminiscent of a pressure cooker, and a young girl who, despite her best efforts, just wasn't good enough. She wrote about giving her mother an anklet as a gift, and how it made her feel childish, using that feeling that way is what parents want. How she tried to make them smile and feel better, but all they did was blame her for their problems. 
that when her mother was laid off from her job at Sprint, she complained to Esme that it was her fault she wasn't able to retire. Her parents, both Chinese immigrants, wanted the best for their daughter, but their impossibly high standards were enough to make even the strongest person crumble. She was an honor student, competed and won almost every sport and debate team competition, was considered among the best classical pianists of her age in Kansas, obeyed the strict rules they laid out for her, and was an all-around good girl. Jacob Horowitz even remarked that she was, quote, a kid any parent would be proud of. But none of it seemed to be enough. Friends would later recall Esme finding typed, hand-signed notes on her computer from her mother, saying how ashamed she was to have such a lazy daughter, and how Esme rarely cried about the horrible things she was told because she heard it so often. She was used to it. In fact, she would take the piece of paper, correct all the grammatical and spelling errors, and hand it back to her mother. In other instances detailed in her journal, they threatened to sell off her piano if she didn't win a statewide competition, grounded her for getting a 96% instead of 100, and when she truly disappointed them, she would be forced to stand naked in a corner of their home. And once, after spending weeks planning a big sleepover with her friends, Esme called the girls crying, something she rarely did, because as she watched her parents argue from an unseen spot on the stairs, she saw her mother hold a knife to her throat and threatened to kill herself. When they finally stopped and her father took her to the friend's house, she acted as if nothing happened. According to some sources, eventually Esme started to rebel, like most teenagers did, and began self-medicating with drugs to make life with her parents less of a struggle. Though it should be noted that only a few sources mentioned this rebellion, with one mentioning a strange instance at a local temple where Esme claimed to be running away from home and could hear voices in her head. But almost every other news source seemed to agree that the pressure she was placed under in her home was unbearable. Between testimony from the friends who watched it all happen and this online diary filled with hatred for her parents, more specifically her mother, and desperate cries for help in a world she felt didn't care about her or any other human being, it became more and more clear exactly what made Esme snap and stab her mother to death. As Jacob, surrounded by the support of many, worked to try and convince the prosecutors to try her case in a juvenile court, her father, Tao, who was now a widow and at the hands of his own child, wavered on whether to support his only daughter. As Esme's trial began and her supporters turned up in such large numbers that bailiffs had to turn them away from the packed courthouse, she could be seen mouthing to her friends across the room how scared she really was. She answered the judge's questions in a small, defeated whisper, and Tao, who decided to stay by his daughter's side, spoke on her behalf. After her pretrial hearing was done, the judge told her it was time to go back to juvenile detention. She pleaded with him, no, I want to stay here. On March 6th, 2006, the day before her 17th birthday, Esme Siang accepted a deal and pleaded guilty in an adult court to voluntary manslaughter. The prosecution successfully argued that, though everyone agreed that she was cruelly treated by her mother, her capacity for violence made her crimes beyond what a juvenile should be charged with, and she should instead serve as an adult would. The defense agreed to a sentence of 100 months, just under eight and a half years, and the judge accepted. 
She served her time and was released on October 1st, 2012. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.